The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody. This is Joni Siegel, and this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. And today in the studio, woohoo, I have my co-host. Jason Good. Hey, we're in Jason. This, we're in the studio, and not only are we in the studio, but we're doing something we haven't done in an extremely long time. Just talking. Just talking. I know. Catching up, seeing what's happening out there. Because for so long, you know, I was busy at the center, kind of doing different things to keep things going. And we did a lot of interviews and stuff like that. But now it's kind of like back to our roots a little bit. Exactly. Where we sat here and we just talked about what's happening. And you have a lot to say. You always have a lot to say, but it's because you're so in the middle of this whole thing with addiction. Yeah. I mean, being in the middle of it, you get a different perspective because I get, I've, I don't know if I could call it a gift, but it's like I have the ability to see multiple perspectives on the drug epidemic because I was a drug addict. Um, I saw what I went through personally as an addict. I saw what my family went through. I see what my family is like now and I see what life is like on the other side of addiction and I get to see other people going through the process. So it helps me through all that figure out different ideas. Yep. Of ways to not only like reach people and say, hey, look, you're not an addict for the rest of your life. I don't care what anyone's told you um and i get to tell the families look there is hope regardless of how you feel right now because one of the easiest things to do as a family who has an addict that they're dealing with easiest thing to do is to say one this is my fault so i must have screwed up my parenting somewhere right and that the fact that my kid's an addict is a reflection on me as a person and my ability to raise a child with good morals and ethics the other thing that's really easy for families to do is to just be apathetic about it and say hope is all lost and there's nothing more for us to do. So, you know, the fact that they're not willing to go to treatment, what what do you want me to do at this point? Right. And so it's interesting that concept, that whole thing, that whole point of they're not willing. So there's no hope for any kind of help or treatment or recovery. I don't know if it's like some trend that's happening right now, but I'm hearing it a lot from families. They're not willing. They're in denial. Right. Now, how many times have you heard denial as being a concept in, in addiction? Many, right? Yeah. And like the mass public out there, if you're all listening to this, I want you to think, how many times have I heard denial being talked about in a situation with with an addict? And realistically, denial doesn't really exist in an addict. So this is a theory. I don't know if it's mine. I don't know how original it is. I don't know if I concocted it from a bunch of different pieces of information or me ruminating about things late at night while I'm trying to go to sleep. But I started hearing a lot of, they're in denial that they're an addict. A person will call. I was taking a lot of calls over the last few months. Okay. You know, a per- family calls and say, you know, I really want them to get help, but they don't think they have a problem. And I said, your loved one who's shooting heroin and shooting meth is denying that they have a problem. They don't believe that they actually have a problem. So I thought about that for a little bit. I'm like, how is it possible at all that a person who is intravenously or even snorting, smoking, or doing whatever drug... How could they ever deny that there's a problem and that what they're doing is okay? Did you you when you were an addict? Yeah. You know, parts of it. Yeah. Not as much. Like I never went into denial that like what I'm doing is like, I never thought like what I'm doing is fine. What I'm doing is not a problem, but I could using kind of what I went through. I could kind of, I started to like link things together in my head thinking about this. And then it clicked. I was like, denial doesn't actually exist in an addict. In my opinion, in my opinion, right. And I don't know if how many people I just upset by saying that 
Denial doesn't actually exist in an addict. And, it, and I don't see that it can. Because... But you just told me you had denial when you were an addict. No, not slightly like... I more like was in denial that I could control it. Okay. But I wasn't in denial that like me smoking crack and shooting, you know, whatever drug I get my hands on. I never thought that wasn't a problem. To me, that was always like a big like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is, this is an issue, obviously. Right. The denial I went into was that like I can handle it somehow. Okay. But I would admit like it was it was like after the cat got out of the bag the first time until I got clean it was like never like I never discounted the fact that I the fact that I used drugs was an issue and a known issue. Sometimes I'd lie about whether I was high or not whether I recently used, but like I didn't have this concept that what I'm doing is not a problem. Okay. Does that make sense? It does, but if you think that you can control it, is that not and you can't really is that not another form of denial? It is, it, it is, but let me see how I can explain this. The point where I said, oh, I can control it, that was before I ever tried to get help the first time, right? Okay. From then on, it was like, I have a problem. I don't know what to do. I can't stop. Okay. Like, this is a major problem. Um, once I got past the, I, the, the being able to admit that I was a drug addict, I understood I had an issue. Right. But I didn't have a lot of awareness around my ability to actually like figure it out or handle it myself. But I got to the point where I understood what I was doing wasn't okay. There was nothing normal about right. you know, using drugs. There was, I, I couldn't deny that I had a drug problem. Okay. I could deny like my ability or my thought, my, my made up ability that I thought I can control it. Right. And like, I'll just try and stop and I'll, I'll lock myself in a room and I won't use for five days or I'll just all these weird, unusual solutions to your addiction. You start like kind of concocting that aren't really workable. I'll taper myself off heroin. Like that's, but it's like there was no denial of like I have a problem. I'm a drug addict. Okay. So lately, I heard a lot of you know families calling saying they don't think they have a problem. Like they're saying there's no issue. Like I don't I don't think my meth addiction or my heroin addiction is a problem. And I was like, oh, that's okay. And the family's like, I don't understand how it's a thing. How do they think that? And then I was like. Why would they think that? Because I didn't think that. I knew my drug use was a problem itself. Right. I just had some like delusional like idea that I could fix it myself. But I'm getting, I had a lot of families over the last few months saying, I really want them to get help. They're, they admit that they use, but they don't think it's a problem. They don't think their pill popping is a problem. They don't think their heroin use is a problem. They don't think that their meth use is a problem. They don't think they're out, whatever it is. That all of a sudden there's this sur- this is like this research or this surge of addicts and alcoholics that don't think their substance abuse itself is a problem, and then I get the family saying, "Well, they're in denial. Okay. They're denying that they actually have a problem." Um, and they say, "Mom, mom, and dad, or whoever, it's not it's not as bad as you think. It's not. I mean, I got it under. It's fine. Like it's it's not an issue. I don't think I have an issue with this. It's not a problem." And I'm like, "Okay, that can't be real," in my head. And then one night I said, "Oh." I just figured out what that is. So when it comes to an addict, they're not really in denial that they have a problem because every addict, no matter who they are, no matter what they're using at some point, have a thought or a realization that what they're doing is not okay. Right. Because I don't, I can't imagine that humans out, any human out there could lack such a moral compass, even to themselves inside their own heads that, you know, 
using drugs is perfectly fine and okay, especially with the drugs we have now. I, I didn't, there was a disconnect for me. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that no addict ever really goes into denial. Every addict at some point kind of looks up into the dirty mirror across from them and it's in the middle of the day and they're completely strung out and haven't slept for days and have no job and no money and no way to get high anymore and realize, okay, what I'm doing is a problem. This isn't okay. But the denial of like, I don't have an issue. It's fine. I'll be fine. It's all good. I've got this, you know, all that is, it's not the addict in denial. They know they have a problem. They a hundred percent unequivocally know there's a problem. You can't sit there and smoke out of a meth pipe and not realize at some point this is not okay. Right. You can't shoot up heroin to make your withdrawals go away and say, I don't even, I don't have a problem. It's whatever. That does, that's not real. But what's real is that the proclaimed denial, I don't think I have a problem. Got this. It's fine. All that is is a way of the addict to get the family off their backs. Oh, of course. And to make the, fa- it all it is is a way of the addict persuading the family that everything's fine. I don't have a problem. It's not an issue. Go away. I've got this, blah, blah, blah. So it's not denial. It's an unwillingness to stop using. So they, they're not in denial. There's no addict that's saying this is fine. I, I mean, and if you're a loved one of a, and you have a family member that's denying that they're an addict, it's like, they don't really believe that. I promise you. How does, okay. So, so how does that help the people who are listening? What are they supposed to do with that? I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't don't hundred percent understand it, but what, what is How does that then translate? What do we, how does, what do they do then? Well, it's interesting because you have to, because knowing what it really is allows you to attack the problem differently. Okay. So what is it really? If it's not (laughs) denial, what is it really? What are you saying? It's a protection of their addiction. Because the way an addict gets through life on a daily basis, and the only way they know how to get through life and solve problems and confront everything around them is to get high. So any threat to that addiction, they're going to try to push as far away as possible because the idea of going through a 24-hour period without drugs being in the middle of your addiction is terrifying. It's scary. You don't know how you're going to do it. I mean, I got to the point where I couldn't talk on the phone to someone unless I was high. You lose almost every ability to do normal things in a day-to-day basis. So with the family, it's like you're not looking at an addict that's just like nuts and denying that there's a problem. All they're doing is protecting their addiction. So you have to think about that when you're talking to them. Okay. And yep. how would you then? I mean, if I'm a mother and I, okay, so my son is not in denial, but he's definitely protecting the fact that he's an addict so that he can continue being an addict. So what, how am I supposed to address that? What am I supposed to do? Well, the way it's interesting, it, it changes the perspective in the way of like your, your child or your loved one isn't so far gone and, and unable to be helped that because they're in such denial of the problem, because that's where a lot of families will stop the, the process of trying to help. If they're in denial. There's nothing we can do. They don't believe they have a problem. How is rehab going to work? But realize that that's not the right thought. You have to understand that they're terrified and they're protecting their addiction. And so you still need to move forward with trying to get them into treatment. And most of the time when you have a situation like this, it's going to, it's going to need an intervention, right. right? That's where someone comes out and tries to help with the situation. Who's a neutral party and gets the addict to think clearly for two seconds and make a good decision to go into treatment. But too often I hear families say, okay, they're in denial. So stop. There's nothing. We can't move past this point. But it's like, no, you don't understand. You, you have to move past that point. You can move past that point. And the fact is, that if you don't push past that, your loved one, it will never get into treatment. 
Right. Or I'll say well, it's, it's extremely unlikely that they will because the, uh, some families will just stop at the point of, well, they're in denial. What can you do? They won't even admit they have a problem. Right. My thoughts like, no, you need to push forward. Well, you need to keep pushing them into treatment. You need to do an intervention. You have to do anything necessary because that's not a stop. Right. That's not a stop on what you're trying to do. And it shouldn't be because I want you to realize that that isn't real. They're right. not really in denial. They're just terrified addicts that don't know what they're going to do. Well, and here's the thing. Even if that's true, mm-hmm. even if I disagree with you completely and say, okay, the guy is in denial, you still have to move forward. You still have to move forward. It doesn't forward. matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it can't be, oh, there's nothing I can do because they're in denial. No, you still, you have to get them out of denial. Right. Get it's them a, confronting what's going on. Exactly. You know, so it's not, it can't be an excuse no, to can't, not do something. Exactly. You know? Which is what we talk about all the time, that you have to do something about it, no matter what. Exactly. But it's too often that I see that, like, the family goes, oh, stop. I can't. What are we going to do? They're in denial. It's like, no, no, no. That's not real. Keep moving. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the message I'm trying to get across. It's yeah. not real. Keep moving. Because it's like, imagine taking away the very thing that most, of, like, I can't, I'm trying to think of it in, like, a term of someone that's sober and uses something to get through a day. It's like, imagine, I don't know. You work 30 miles away and all of a sudden you have no cars. Like, how are you going to do this on a day-to-day basis? And it becomes overwhelming to a point of trying to have to figure it out or having an Uber everywhere or not having or whatever else. It's like you have to keep moving forward. It can't be a reason that you stop. Right. Right. Because the addict is terrified to give up their addiction. Yep. Because they have no idea how they're going to deal with it. Yeah. Just as a person who works 30 miles away from their work, if you all of a sudden you have no car, sometimes it can be scary to think like, how am I going to deal with this? I have no idea what to do. So it's like that, you know, and at, most addicts don't have their own solutions already in place. They're like, oh, it's going to be fine. They don't have that. They don't have the presence of mind for that. They don't have the data in the, or the information or the, even the ability to see that. But so I just, families will do, step, will stop someone getting to treatment with uh, they're in denial or that they're not willing. The other thing is like, well, they're not willing for treatment. So how is treatment going to work? Okay, but then let's just give up and not do anything. Well, that's the I thing. I mean, where does that end up? We've already talked about that. If it's like, if you give up, you say, okay, there's nothing I can do, mm-hmm. you know, then your your loved one is headed toward overdose or jail or both, you and know, so. And what I want families to realize is that when the family themselves create that stop, that's affecting the addict's ability to survive in the future. Yep. Because no family wants their son or daughter, mom or dad or whatever to die as a result of their addiction. But you have to move past your own stops on it yep. to get them help. Because if you put a stop there, you're also responsible to some degree with what might happen at the end. It's true. If they die as a result of their addiction or they get clean. It's true. Um, and families are ultimately uh, have to take ultimate responsibility for both of those outcomes that's right and uh i don't want families to say well they're not willing so stop so treatment won't work we've gone through that a thousand times right and then there's the whole like well they're in denial so how can you help someone that says they don't have a problem and it's like to you they say that because they want you to leave them alone once right. we get once you push through and you get them into treatment all of a sudden they're opening up about how terrible their life was and how awful things were and how messed up their thought process was and how clouded their judgment was and all that stuff and you have to realize you as the family don't put anything in the way to keep your your loved one from entering treatment because again that's you putting something in the way that's not real. Yep. That's the overall message here. That's the whole thing. It's like don't stop trying. And listen Jason, how many people walk into Narcan on Sun Coast and say, "Oh, I woke up this morning and decided I need to go into rehab." Zero people. Zero. Zero people. people. Okay. No one is kissing the floors of a treatment center. The, the, <laughs> 
even though our floors are nice and clean. It's like no one's one's kissing the floor of a treatment center when they come in. If they are, it's extremely rare. But to some degree or another, every addict, the hardest part of treatment. It's arriving. Yeah, it's walking in the doors. Walking in the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's the hardest thing to do because it takes a lot of courage, a little bit of blind faith. And this program, you don't, you know, is going to work. Yep. And trusting your family that they've set you up with a place that's going to help you. Yeah. And it, it, that's the hardest part of the whole thing. Most addicts. Yeah. <laughs> most addicts are going to stay out there because it's more terrifying thinking about living a sober life than to die as a result of using to an addict because they literally have no clue how they're ever going to survive without heroin. Which is or, amazing. Which how, is an amazing point. Do you know that they're more terrified of living sober than dying? Because it's unreal to them. Right. It's not realistic. Like when I was an addict, if I were to think living life as a normal sober person, I was like, well, doesn't everyone have something they're technically addicted to? And then I was like, oh, God, that's not a good thought. (laughs) And I was like. Espresso. Oh, right. But it's like. No, but I know what you mean. It's not. It's unrealistic. Addicts are more terrified of sobriety than death sometimes because sobriety is terrifying to the point of like, how am I going to deal with my problems? How am I going to deal with life? How am I going to deal with my boss or my family or my kids or my job or whatever or confronting bills or all that stuff? That's all running through an addict's head when the idea of getting sober comes into play. And honestly, that's more terrifying because it's not real. Yep. That's a complete unknown. How am I going to do that? I don't see that. It's, but dying as a result of their addiction is honestly, it's like the easier as, you know, some programs state about the easier, softer ways of doing things that right. commonly what addicts will gravitate towards that take yep. less, that take less effort. Yep. Um, <laughs> is less terrifying because it's, at least I won't feel it. Yep. You know, at least I won't feel it when I overdose and die, or at least I won't feel it when everything gets worse and I'm homeless and I'm living in my car and I'm shooting up with dirty puddle water. Yeah. Um, but the families will feel it forever. Yeah. You, the yeah. thing an addict has to understand is this. It may be easier for you to numb it out to the, to the ultimate end. But you have to think about what you leave behind because you leave a lot. That's right. There is an emptiness inside every family that has lost their loved one to addiction that will never, ever get filled That's right. anything. That's right. I don't care how many dogs and pets and houses and cars and material things you do. And and you'll try to move, families will try to move forward till the end of time. But there's they always will, that but hole. But that hole will never, never get, get filled. Uh, never it just gets filled. Doesn't, you and know? so. That's one of the grim realities of what we deal with. Right. I mean, I mean, so much has happened out there in the realm of addiction since we last sat here and talked. I mean, these are yep. one of the very things that keep me up at night. Sometimes I'm thinking about, oh my God, I need to save everybody. Right, right. <laughs> um, and by and the I, way, mm. did you know that uh, marijuana is addictive? I, I, of course it is. <laughs> Oh, There's a new article about that. I thought I would bring it up because yeah. it's so controversial and everybody, you know, we always run into such a controversy when we talk about that. But there was an article that said marijuana is addictive. Duh. Who, who wrote the article? I don't remember. Steve sent me a link to it. Marijuana is addictive. It's like, okay, so you all are caught up to where we were three years ago. Exactly. It's like, yeah, of course marijuana is addictive. Because you have people coming to Narcanon who are addicted to marijuana. I will never, ever stop getting flack from the general public about the fact that I say people call for weed. Because weed isn't weed. Marijuana isn't marijuana. It's a T8. Now it's considered, I would call it, it's just a THC-containing product. 
Just a quick break to remind you that this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, and it is sponsored by Narcan on Suncoast. For more information on the podcast, you can go to our Facebook page by the same name. We also have a new email, which is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. That's theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. For more information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Do you have a loved one struggling with drug addiction and you've tried everything to help them and failed? We recently discovered that Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 80% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to www.newmaninterventions.com and sign up today. Oh, and this service comes with a free hour consultation with Bobby Newman. But people can give us flack for our opinion on it, but they can't give you flack for the fact that people call you saying they are addicted to it. And I wouldn't. You can give them flack, but not you flack. Well, you I wouldn't believe it, it if I was if I wasn't the one taking the call. That's it's, what I'm saying. It's almost weirder, and I'll say this because. I start hearing the fam where the family is at. When I have a family member, a mom and a dad call, we're calling for our kid. This is everything that's going on. All this wreckage, all this chaos, lost jobs, can't take care of themselves, all this stuff, right? Par for the course. What are they using? And there's a little bit of a pause. (laughs) And then there's marijuana. And it's weird because what I run into in that moment are the family's own, like, judgments on marijuana like i can't believe we're calling a rehab for a kid who's on weed and then it's like well (laughs) how how much weed do you smoke um and it's like people seem and i say people it's just like the people that call to a certain degree still feel slightly uncomfortable with seeking help for marijuana but it's like we can't think of marijuana like we used to we can't think of weed like back in the 60s 70s 80s or even the 90s because it's not weed anymore because you got people that still smoke the the smokable bud of the marijuana plant. That itself has higher THC content than ever before after hybridiza- hybridization and crossbreeding between plants yep. to yield higher you know levels of THC. But you've got the dabs, which is butane hash oil, which is like 97, 98% pure THC. You've got edibles. You've got uh, tinctures and vapes. And you've got all sorts of stuff to ingest THC in extraordinary doses. And so you can't just say, I'm addicted to weed, because you might not be. You might be addicted to some sort of THC-containing product that has outrageous levels of the drug in it. Marijuana used to come, and THC used to come in very low doses. And in low doses, fine, not really that addictive, not such a big deal. Okay, fine, I'll agree with you on that maybe. But it's like, okay, so when we're taking THC in much higher doses, you have to consider it a different drug to a certain extent because it reacts to the human body and mind completely differently than it used to. Right. Because whereas marijuana, non-addictive, totally benign, you know, smoke a joint, eat a twinkie and go to bed. Now it's like, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I have horrible anxiety. Well, what's going on? I'm three days off dabs. Right. 
You have people in withdrawal. Right. There's THC withdrawal now. There's THC induced psychosis in almost every major city. And that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like, it's not Jason's opinion. It's not Joni's opinion. When someone calls up Narconon and they are addicted to marijuana, that is their drug of choice. That is a fact. That's not your opinion. That's not my hmm. opinion. Okay? I have no, we have no reason it, to make it up. I know. it's We're not making it up. So... You know, you can find fault with that, fine. You can find fault with what we say, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is, is that people are coming into Narcanon for treatment because they are addicted to marijuana. Right. Take it or leave it. Well, yeah, and you know, THC in higher doses also has a much more addictive potential than it used to because now people will smoke weed, take the edge off, but oh, that really takes the edge off now. Right. Well, that really takes the edge off now. It's going to become really addictive in a few months. That's right. Or even less. And so it's like we have to like change our vocabulary with how we're talking about that one drug because it's not just weed, it's THC generalized a little bit because it's like you can take it in so many various forms, which is terrifying, especially for kids. Yes. Especially for parents of kids in high school. Yes. Or even younger because it's like back in the day, all you could do is smoke it. Or bake it into a brownie, but that wasn't as often. Right. So it's like you left evidence behind that you just smoked weed or got high or whatever. Now it's like you got a, a, you know, one kid that brings a a bag of gummy or soda. Or soda. That just blows my mind. Or hand cream or gummy bears or their, their jewel vapes or whatever it is. It's like all of a sudden they're consuming it and they're completely doing it and are undetected because it looks benign and, and it can look real innocent. Everyone have, you know, one kid sharing his, you know, gummy bear snacks or his, or this really nice soda he likes or something. And it's like all of a sudden the whole class is set, is stoned. Yeah. And so it, there's more clandestine ways to get high on THC now than ever before, which is troubling. Right. Because it's harder to detect unless you're a parent of a sound with a very, very up to date set of information, a sound mind. I think every parent of a high school age student should drug test their kids reg- randomly and regularly because at least you'll know because yep. <clears throat> I, I mean, at least you'll know. I mean, what knowledge is power, right? And the more yep. you know, the more you know, and the more you know, the more information you have that can make appropriate calls on what to do. Uh, because That's right. there's so many kids using THC and no one's the wiser. That's right. Nobody. And here's the other thing, you know, you can say that it's our opinion that marijuana is a gateway drug. Right. But just listen to the podcast that we've done on the graduates from Narcanon who started on marijuana. Exactly. Okay. And and listen to how many of them started on marijuana. And that's a fact. Is it a gateway drug for everyone? No. But is it technically a gateway drug? Does it is it does it start people on the path to other drugs? A lot, yeah. And a the, lot of the ones that you see at Narconon, a lot of the ones we've talked to on the podcast, yeah, it's a fact. We're not making it up, guys. Yeah, and with all, argue with us, and with all the attention on the fact that, yeah, of course, marijuana is one of the first drugs that significant amount of drug addicts try. You know, initially, mm-hmm. there's another gateway drug that we talk about less, but nonetheless, is a gateway drug is alcohol. alcohol. That's right. Because you want to talk about a socially accepted social lubricant. That's like just a rite of passage here. Have a beer with mom and dad, you know, when you're 15 years old at dinner. It's like, no, okay, wait, hold on. Let's back up. Alcohol is not only one of the most popular gateway drugs that's not discussed as a gateway drug as much as marijuana is, but it's legal. It's marketed to us on a daily basis. It's available at mostly every convenience store and gas station that you come to throughout the United States. Um, 
But let me ask you a question, Jason. Is it, uh, to me, it is a a bigger leap mm-hmm. from alcohol to some other drug mm-hmm. than it is from marijuana to some other drug. Why? I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm asking because like if I were a regular uh, user of marijuana, would I find it easier to maybe try some Coke or something? I don't know. I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get drunk, Mm -hmm. but I do drink wine Mm -hmm. on occasion. That thought process of, oh, I need something stronger never occurs to me Mm -hmm. ever. I would never do anything stronger. It's not... It's You're, just not in my mindset. But if I were regularly using marijuana, which is technically a drug, mm-hmm. would that make it less of a leap to try cocaine? I don't know. Well, I'm it depends. Well, here, well, here's my two cents on it, Johnny. Yep. You having a glass of wine, or even if you were in a situation where you had a glass too many, mm-hmm. hypothetically, you... And I know you. You like are not going to your story. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I know that you are not going to put yourself in an environment where other substances will be available and offered to you. That's true. Okay. Now you have to now now you have to think back towards a college kid, right? Let's say or a high school kid goes to a party, gets plastered drunk, and some guy comes up to him and says, "Hey, if you take a little coke or a little bit of meth or a little bit of Molly." It'll bring you up a little bit. You know, you won't be as drunk. You'll feel better. Right. Okay, fine. Give it to me. That way, that's what that's how it goes. So it's not necessarily, and so that's a big consideration of a large amount of the public is that like it's an easier transition from marijuana to drugs than from alcohol to drugs. But both those drugs do the same thing. They lower your inhibitions and your ability to make good judgment calls, and you're more you're just as equally able to transition to drugs whether you're starting alcohol or weed or not, because typically alcohol and weed are going to be at the same party. Right. And you'll be around the same people. But and I can buy a bottle of wine at Publix. Sure. I can't buy recreational marijuana at Publix. Right, but... So presumably I would have to go somewhere to find marijuana. recreational marijuana to buy it. Right. Would that not put me in an environment or at least put me in communication with people who might have something else to offer me? Sure, so... What do you think the differences are between a dispensary of marijuana and your local bar? Well, meet- a dispensary would be marijuana for pain, for pain, right? No, now well nowadays for medical marijuana. Not even nowadays. There's a lot of states. It's just recreationally available. So it's like you go to a dispensary. It's like a marijuana bar. Right. Just as you oh, go okay. to a bar right. and drink and do whatever. So it's like. Okay, so you're still putting yourself in an environment with people that are there for a specific reason. Do they have the, like marijuana bars? Not, not, not no. really. I mean, it's more like okay. a marijuana dispensary, more like a marijuana store. But still, there's that social aspect of it. People are talking and blah blah blah. And this is, it's very similar to like a bar environment. Now, if you're putting yourself at a bar or a marijuana dispensary, okay, so now we're looking at similar environmental situations, different thing going to your neighborhood grocer to get a bottle of wine you're putting yourself around various different types of people who may or may not do other drugs or do other things or have a lower lower moral compass than you or whatever it's situational that's why i go back to the high school kid or the college kid who legally early in high school and early in college you can't legally buy liquor right and you legally can't go to a dispensary you have to be 21 for both so let's look at the age of people when they start addiction between, let's say, 15 and 20. Okay. 
So what's the environment with which they're using? House parties, frat parties, you know, bonfires on the beach, all sorts of stuff. And people are there for one purpose. Let's get effed up. Right. Let's get high. Let's get right. drunk. Let's get right. plastered. Let's 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 get with a blasted. Let's get blasted. Yeah, let's get stoned. Yeah, let's get yeah, high. Let's do, but okay, so there, there's a certain intention behind going to that party, and and and, and using marijuana, or alcohol, or both. Right. And so that situation will easily lead to people using other things because you're around a bunch of other people who want to get messed up, and one day someone's gonna be like, dude, coke. Yep. And you're like, dude, fine. <laughs> Do you know if there are studies that have tracked um, alcohol as a gateway drug versus marijuana as a gateway drug? Do we know if there are studies like there that? Are stu- there are studies. I, just, I don't and know. And I'm not promoting alcohol, yeah. but I'm just wondering. No, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can't pull it down. Okay. But it's more like it. about a year ago, I saw it talked about more, and I can't remember from what media source. Okay. Um, but it was like alcohol is like a gateway drug that no that people will speak about less as a gateway drug than marijuana when they're equally the same. And I, I've said the same thing about why marijuana is a gateway weight dr- gateway drug. It's a situational gateway drug. Right. It's just you're in a situation where you use a substance that lowers your inhibitions and it leads you might lead you to something else when someone offers it to you. Right. It's the same thing with alcohol. It can be a situational gateway drug. There's no chemical in alcohol. There's no chemical in marijuana that all of a sudden starts an addiction and makes you want more. It's the environment that people you're around while you're inebriated that may ask you to make a decision that you might not make the best call at because you're intoxicated. Right. Situationally, they're gateways. Right. Because whatever the situation that you're in with both of them can lead to in that direction. That's literally all it is. It's not like sense. people don't just like without any influence from the outside jump get stoned and say I need more get stoned and right. Get right. stoned and say I need more I don't know what it is, but I need I need it. Right. They don't know what it is. They yeah, don't yeah. know what it is, but it's just the intoxication on marijuana or alcohol. If you're in a situation where people are partying and you come across guy with pills or girl with X or whatever, you might meet. You're gonna try it. You're drunk the, or high, and, and yeah. but then that's when you get into the hard stuff, and then all of a sudden you realize that's the solution, right? And that's my theory. Take it for what it is. Yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I get it. I was just curious. Yeah. Just creating controversy. We like, just we so might we as well get talk some feedback uh, on we, Facebook. I mean, at this point, we might as well start talking about abortion laws. Uh, no. No. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to no, 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 no. edit that one out. <laughs> no. This podcast is about addiction. Yes. I, um, you know, and really, yeah. And the, and we're never going to run out of things to talk about, unfortunately. There's got to be a period in time where I would like to sit down and do this podcast with you and say, Joni, I mean, it's amazing that 50% of the addiction in the United States got handled over yep. the last period of time. Yep. When we get there, I'll be very excited. For right now, we're, in the, we're still in the woods. We're not out yet. We're still in the thick of it. Yep. And, and each you know, day, week, month, year that goes by, something else pops up that becomes the new drug then it yeah. becomes this becomes that i mean are you seeing anything new at narcanon it's not anything new it, there's no like new like unheard of before drug but it's just more like you're seeing the same things over and over again you're seeing fentanyl you're seeing heroin you're seeing meth you're seeing just a wide gamut of drugs but you're also seeing a new generation of drug addicts so i was going to say are you seeing a different different demographic right for for like people coming in for instance i put a woman through the program in 2000, or I helped a woman through a program in 2014. Okay. Okay. She called me recently saying, now I need help for my just turning 18 year old kid. 
so it's like you've got addiction where it's like this so much time has gone by in the drug crisis you have got the addicts who got clean moved on had families their kids grew up and now they're addicts so you're getting the next generation that's what we're starting to see oh i got you're it. seeing another the new generation of addicts starting to come through you're seeing like the millennial generation or like the sub millennial the, the, the people are coming after the millennials yeah are, are like already 18 and it makes me feel really old and it's like <laughs> when were you born i'm doing an intake and they say 1999 i get real sad because i was a high school <laughs> high school graduate 99 right um you're seeing the next generation of addicts come through which is sad to me in a way because it's like now it's infecting the next generation. Yeah. What's the youngest you have at Norconom right now? 18. 18. You can't, can't go younger than 18 and, for state oh, laws. Okay. And what's the oldest you have there now? Do you know? Yeah, 62. 62? Okay. Wow. I mean, we put... I mean, not that much younger than me. No, Ms. Rube was really throws... Will throw me off from time to time is when I get a call for from a person for their 88-year-old parent. Right. And I'm like, oh. Is it usually like alcohol though or painkillers? No, it's prescription drugs. Prescription it's drugs. It's their Xanax. Yeah. It's their it's their painkillers. It's their this or their that. And when I talk about when they tell me what's going on, like it's not like, oh, you know, mom, you know, pops, you know, an extra mil- half a milligram of Xanax to go to bed at night. It's like I have to lock her drugs up in a safe and she'll beg me for them and cry for them. And this is an extremely elderly person right. that is completely addicted. What was so, the 62-year-old addicted to? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, everything. I everything? mean, you get you get to the point where everyone's a polysubstance abuser, meaning okay. that you use more than one drug. I'm just curious. It's right, cause, yeah. Because that's almost my age, and so that's why I was wondering. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you're looking at a 62-year-old person that comes in, they're addicted to the same thing everyone else is. Okay. You're looking at you know, opiates, you're looking at stimulants, you're looking at everything, and it's... and it. And it is a little strange for like people my parents' age to look at other people their age who are in drug re- drug rehab, right? Because it's unreal to them, right? You know, their group of friends there's no addicts, yep. Technically, although, yeah, <laughs> we, we I talked about that. that. I was like, what? <laughs> why, mom, are all your a lot of your friends on that much Xanax? Yeah, but I'm not going to talk about it. Leave it alone. Yeah, um, it's affecting everyone. The the sadder part to me is the next generation's getting brought up in the in the drug crisis yeah i couldn't imagine it being raised while that's consistently happening because it's like look at me i'm a kid that grew up in the 80s as a as a young kid in the 90s as a teenager and it's like then like towards the end of my teenage years and into my 20s when the drug crisis started right right We're we're looking at you know 18 years ago yep uh I didn't get brought up in the fact that drugs were so prevalent everywhere. And I couldn't imagine going through that. But you have to think about the kids that are getting raised in it right now. Yep. There's kids that are raised in the drug crisis. There's yep. kids that literally have no defense other than hopefully mom and dad or a good drug education program got to them yep. and said, here's the realities on all this. Yep. You make the decision yep. and go from there. So that's where we're at. That's like the update, I guess, so to speak. Um, There's and Joni and Jason's rant for the week. A rant for the week. I we like do that. have an interview next week. Oh, good. And a couple more coming up. Nice. But it was nice to just kind of chat. And, you know, people out there need to know that they need to um, not accept denial as an excuse and, you know, keep an eye on what's going on. And drug testing is a good idea. Yeah. I want to reiterate. I want to thank you. I want to reiterate that one more Absolutely. time in case anyone listening to this missed it. Any parent. I think, in my opinion, every parent of a high school age kid needs to randomly drug test them so you know what's going on. Because you can't, even though you think you might have raised the perfect child that tells you everything, 
They you might not be telling you everything. They're not going to tell you if they're for, doing drugs. They're not going to do it. Right. And so for your peace of mind, regularly and randomly drug test them. Yep. So you know. Because the more you know, the more you know. Yep. Yeah. The more you know. The more, the more information you have to do something in case there's a problem. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well. Signing Jason, off for this week. Yeah. Jason will be back <laughs> next week. And we've got an interview to do. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll keep talking. As we do. Okay. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.